particular year, it's uh, especially important that we adhere to what's necessary for Pesach and not to add um, chumras, um, added stringencies this year. Uh, unfortunately, if, um, you know, in, in general, there's a tendency before Pesach to um, add to what really is necessary, and uh, sometimes as a result, it causes people a lot of stress. This, e- this year, um, I'll just say that um, adding stress is usher. One is not allowed to add stress. It's a categorical ether. Um, and I, I think that I'm not, uh, I'm not being too audacious in regard to this. Really, one is not allowed to, um, one is not allowed to, uh, add to the stress that everybody already experiences. I think that that, that stress is, uh, manifest in all kinds of different ways depending upon the details of a person's life, but it really is, um, stressful for just about everyone. And I think that therefore it's, um, it's critical that, uh, that people make understand this as an obligation, um, mm-hmm. that uh, you understand that this is, Shemartim Odin Nachshoseichem is one of the obligations, taking care of oneself and not adding to the stress that people already have. And additionally, um, in order to be able to attain Simchas Yamto, the, the Rambam quotes, but it's something which is a clear-cut din, it's not only the Rambam, that there's a mitzvah Simchas Yamto, and if a person arrives at the Pesach, um, with added stress, added agmas nefesh, and that obviously will, in, will inevitably detract from um, simchas yomtov, then that's, that a person is being mevatal um, Now, oftentimes, you know, you have to be able to gauge exactly how much uh, stress there is and be able to do things properly, but this year especially it's important, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the, 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 the emphasis at this particular hour, at this particular time, is that people have to try to maintain a sense of equilibrium in their lives. Um, this should not be something, Pesach should not be something which uh, really throws people off and causes people um, to, uh, to uh, you know, not to function as well and causes people to, and Tzachat and, and brings about somehow a diminishment of, of Simchas Yantos. Okay, with that being said, I'll just mention one brief Vaitorah. Um, even though I don't want to take up a lot of time, I know that everybody has time constraints, so I'm going to mention a brief Dvar Torah that, uh, that relates to um, Pesach, especially this year, and that is that there is a Maral who asks a very straightforward question, that why, why is it in regard to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we always talk about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's a mitzvah which we focus upon in so many different ways, and in the meantime, there are other gulos as well. What's, what's unique and special about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? So he says Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim w- was different. It, it's, it's distinguished, it's separate, it's in a different category than all other, um, of, all other gulos. And Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim brought about an intrinsic change in Klai Yisrael, which means that um, once Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim took place, every single Jew, forever, in every moment, in every circumstance, in every situation, is a Ben Chorin, or a Bas Chorin. Every single person has that, um, that, that within themselves. It's part and parcel of the, of the essence of, of every single Jewish person. The, this is true, says the Maral, when you, it doesn't say this in these words, but the Maral would say this in regard to um, every situation where Jews were being persecuted, every single time that Jews um, were, were, uh, were discriminated against, every single time that Jews suffered, in every context, in every situation, Always, a Jew is a Ben Chorin, a Jew is a Bas Chorin. Every single person, that's something which you can't take away. That's an in, in, intrinsic to every single person. 
And once that's true, it gives you a certain koach, that you know that somehow, no matter what you're contending with, no matter what um, challenges you confront at that particular point in time, that can't be taken away. And that's what, that's what we're focusing upon um, at any point in time when we approach Pesach and when we celebrate Pesach, and especially this year. The circumstances are such that, you know, you feel like, you know, you are, you are, in some, some people feel helpless, some people feel as if uh, circumstances are, you know, controlling us, and we're, we're not able to function in the way that we usually would, and, and people feel sometimes a sense of claustrophobia, of not being able to, you know, get out, and that's uh, sometimes really very, very hard for individuals to try to appreciate the essence that one is supposed to experience, that uh, this is something which can't be taken away. That when Jews have, have suffered and contended with the greatest challenges, the greatest difficulties, the greatest crises throughout history, um, during the time of pogroms, during the time of, you know, of, of exiles, when they were sent out of other countries with nothing other than the clothes on their back, if they were lucky to leave with that alone. Um, during the time most recent, let's say, for example, of the Holocaust, the Jew knew, I'm a Ben Chorin, I'm a Bas Chorin. And uh, certainly that's something to draw upon in this particular circumstance, even before Pesach arrives, right? That sense of, uh, of, um, of identi- identif- identification with that, uh, that, that status, that essence, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has provided for each and every one of us. Okay, with that being said, that little uh, introduction, the little of our Torah, um, let me uh, just mention the following. Imminently, I, just, I was trying to do it right now, but I'm going to send it out uh, after we finish here. Um, I'm going to send out a link to a Dropbox uh, folder, which I put on my computer, which is just a collection of various different uh, information from various different reliable conscious agencies that sometimes can be extremely um, helpful when a person is quickly trying to access information. Um, and uh, first of all, these conscious agencies often have apps as well that you can put on a cell phone. If you have a cell phone that you can put these apps onto, so the OU... And the CRC in Chicago um, has one which is especially helpful. And that allows you to, sometimes if, no matter where you are, you can quickly access this information. Um, additionally, there's uh, this information which, again, other people can, you can find it yourselves as well. But sometimes, again, if you haven't put a few minutes into, the, uh, into researching or looking for this information, it might be a little more difficult. So, for example, um, the information in regard to medications, um, in regard to pet food, in regard to uh, baby food, in regard to uh, soy milk, other things along those lines. What I'll do is I'll just show you the, um, I'll see if I can show you the folder for a moment um, by uh, sharing my screen. So I'm just going to show you where the, what the folder will look like. This is what the folder will look like for those people who can see it. Um, it's going to be over here, and uh, it's going to include, hold on one second, here it is, um, things like, for example, there's actually some of cough medicines, which... Any time point time is relevant that they will you put out, which is extremely relevant um, this year in particular. Um, some guidelines in terms of cashering, um medicines and uh, cosmetics, quickly find out, trying to find out things like, for example, so which toothpaste and which mouthwash um, should I buy this year and uh, things along those lines. Which medicine should I have on hand, right? Let's say, for example, allergy medicines are often a question as to which allergy medicines a person should purchase. Um, I'll just mention briefly, in addition to the ones that are mentioned here um, in regard to medications, even though people might not buy it the rest of the year. But uh, when PESA comes along, there's a company called ADWE, um, A-D-W-E, that uh, produces kosher medication, and, and they have a whole selection of them that are kosher to PESA, 
Again, some of them are not really needed because you have the standard ones that are okay, but uh, in regard to sometimes they are, their medications are more difficult to get than the, they have, have the ones that are, are kashal of Pesach. So in any case, that's something just for people to be cognizant of. Okay, that, that link is going to be sent out to the shul email, and um, also you can access all of these websites yourself, and also um, you can put it on it as an app on your cell phones. So, okay, I'm going to try to give an, an overview, not touching upon everything, but trying to give just a general sense as to what people should be attentive to. So, there are five different grains which are considered to be chametz, and the five grains are wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. Now, kidneyos, we know, are legumes, which, um, which for Ashkenazim are also prohibited on Pesach. That's uh, minhag, which, was, um, which is several hundred, several hundred years old. <clears throat> it's important to note that kidneyos, per se, are not chametz, and therefore they don't have to be sold, and keeping them around is not a problem, and using them, let's say, for example, for pets is not a problem, um, because they're mutter bahana. It's just that we don't eat them over the course of uh, Pesach. Uh, so sometimes that's important to know that if a person, for example, has um, uh, certain food allergies, other extenuating circumstances, there are leniencies in regard to kidneyos that uh, sometimes are important to know about. Um, I will try to find um, a list. There's, first of all, the OU has a list of uh, kidneyos products that are kosher le Pesach. Now, that sounds like it's a contradiction in terms. I can have kidneyos products which are kosher le Pesach. The answer is that there's that for exactly the reason we just described, that sometimes there are people who may need the kitneos for Pesach, um, and for Svarim, it's mutter l'chatchila. So Svarim can, Svardic uh, kashrus agencies will actually provide, um, they will provide um, hashkacha for various different forms of kitneos. It does require hashkacha. You can't just buy regular, um, regular rice and other such things. Um, but to the extent that it's, uh, to the extent that it's, necess- it's necessary, then there are lists available for kidneyos, uh, for when people need them. Sometimes you have to clarify if it, the circumstances are reached that threshold, but in any case, it's something to know about. Um, also, another detail in regard to chametz that people might not be cognizant of, which I oftentimes will tell people, is that be aware that you can't, you have to assume that flour, plain flour, is considered to be chametz. You have to assume that the flour probably came into contact with water during the course of the production, and therefore, that's treated like real, um, like real chametz. Um, just a, a general point. Once I'm talking about that, in regard to mechiras chametz, uh, there are um, significant rabbanim that I've heard have already mentioned, and I will follow in their footsteps. You might say, so I'm not the one to innovate this uh, this uh, this uh, perspective. That who said the following: that there are a significant number of people who try, and that includes us as well. Uh, my family tries to sell. All chametz gomer. In other words, basic, uh, that would include all breads and cookies and cakes and pretzels, um, cereals, pasta, etc. We assume all of that is considered to be chametz and <clears throat> flour as well, and we get rid of it before Pesach. There are halachic reasons why that there is such a view, that one should do so, that that's a preferable approach, but I want to say the other approach is also one which has a strong halachic basis, and there are two different minhagim. Okay, so in any case, but there are many people who try to do this. This particular Pesach, I'm not telling everybody that everybody has to go out and buy chametz before Pesach. That's, I'm not saying that at all. But at the same time, to the extent that there are, even though in, there sh- should not be shortages, but in, from a practical point of view, you know, people go to the store and they see that there may be concerns in terms of uh, being able to access um, uh, the foods that they want, to the extent that there may be such a concern, then it would be... It would be um, Totally okay for someone to 
for someone to um, keep their chametz before Pesach if they had some particular reason that they felt that they had to purchase chametz before Pesach, not going overboard, but uh, let's say, for example, there's something in particular that they uh, purchase for their family because of dietary needs or restrictions, and then they're, they're wondering if it's going to be available after Pesach or not, then this year, um, given that there's so many, uh, let's call it unknowns, um, and that the situation that we're all contending with right now is one which uh, seems to you know, evolve on an ongoing basis, um, people, of course, should not panic, you know, shouldn't uh, go overboard. But on the other hand, this is generally a Chumrah, um, which is kept the Torah's Chumrah, and therefore it certainly would be okay for a person to, to keep um, Chametz, or to, for that matter, if necessary, to purchase Chametz and then keep it over the course, course of Pesach and to include that within one sale. Okay, you would include that within one sale um, in regard to Mechir's Chametz. That's something which uh, I think is important to note um, this particular year. Okay. So let me talk a little bit about cleaning before Pesach. Cleaning before Pesach, I'm going to say things which are highly controversial, um, seem to violate all the uh, basic norms of Misora that have been kept in, uh, in many circles. But on the other hand, from a certain point of view, I just want to say that what I'm going to say now is, is really very straightforward, or much of it is very straightforward. Um, we usually clean for Pesach far more than what we really need to do. Um, which, which means the following. Where do you have to check for chametz? Where, where do you have to look for chametz when you do bedikas chametz? So you have to check the places where there could be chametz. So this obviously would depend. You can sometimes say that, uh, you know, you have children who, Baruch Hashem, are adventurous and they go everywhere and anywhere. Um, but you might say that, look, the children aren't in the attic and they aren't bringing food up to the attic. Or let's say, for example, the children don't go downstairs to certain rooms in the basement. Um, and so forth and so on. And depending upon the particular family and the, and the dynamics in the family, you might have confidence that certain rooms don't require um, checking. And those rooms, for that matter, for that, re- for that very reason, don't re- really require significant cleaning as well. Um, because what are you looking for already, right? You only have to look. This is a general rule. It comes from a Mishnah. It's a very straightforward. You only have to check, for, for check in places where there might be chametz. But if you don't think there's going to be chametz, there's no reason... People, no, nobody brought chametz in there during the course of the year. It's just not nobody over the course of the year brings chametz there. In that case, you don't have to look there. And for that, me, that reason, you don't have to you don't have to check there either. Um, you don't have to clean there either. Um, now, in terms of what you have to clean for, sometimes people will clean. Let's say, for example, they'll clean in uh, if you have a wooden floor, they'll clean between, let's say, for example, the um, between the slats in the floor, or they'll uh, crawl around on the carpet or things along those lines. Um, that is not necessary. What you're looking for is some piece of chametz which is still edible, um, which usually is of some size. Um, if a piece of chametz, let's say, for example, would get onto the floor almost in any area, and it's small, and you can't see it just by standing there and looking normally at the floor, so that chametz, Postkin will say, is not considered chametz. It no longer is the status of chametz. It's not a chametz. It's not chametz in terms of eating. It's not chametz in terms of bayur or It's not chametz in terms of anything, because it's less than a kazais. It's less than the size of an olive, and it also is not edible anymore. Nobody would pick it up and eat it at this point in time. Um, sometimes, if you have a chashash about some place that you can't get to, there's discussions in the halacha, if you can't uh, access a particular place, and you think that there might be chametz of some size that might have fallen in there, might be, then what you can do is you can take a spray, a uh, cleaning spray, and spray there, and that way you've ruined whatever might be there, and therefore it's not considered to be chametz anymore. But you do not 
have to, um, you do not have to crawl around looking for tiny little crumbs in, you know, the most out-of-the-way places. That's not um, true according to halacha. Let's say, for example, um, what people will do sometimes is they will look, uh, let's say, behind, you know, they'll move very, very, very large items. They have to move the brake front. They have to move, let's say, for example, I don't know about the refrigerator, they have to move the oven, etc. So, according to what we're saying now, the answer is basically no. It's not makam shemachnis and bochames. How did you get chames underneath? What might happen is that you might have, you might check, let's say, for example, immediately the first a few inches under the refrigerator, you might say, for example, look with a flashlight for a moment and see as to whether you see something there, if you want to be machmir, if you want to, you want to check in terms of an oven, looking under the oven and see as to whether you see anything which stands out there. But if you see, let's say, for example, that it's dirty, let's say, for example, a foot behind into the oven, so what you're going to do is you're going to move the oven, you're going to start scraping the floor, right? That, is, that has nothing to do, really nothing to do with the halachas of, of chametz anymore. Because the straightforward halacha is that that's what, if something is there, then it's not chametz anymore, because it's not edible. It became dirty, it's less than a kezayis. It's not right, it's not right or anything. And it's something which is explicit, um, and oftentimes people are not, are not aware of. So you only have to check places where chametz might have got, where chametz might have arrived, and also, um, if, uh, if the chametz is so small, and it's, especially if it's on a floor or some area where it wouldn't be edible anymore, so you wouldn't even have to be concerned about it. So if a person, let's say, for example, wanted to clean up their living room, and they clean up, let's say, for example, they remove everything from the floor in their living room, but they take out a vacuum, right? They vacuum the living room. Um, then what they might do, depending upon, you know, the children, the family, you might take off the pillows off of the couch. You might take, let's say, for example, the uh, removable pillow from a chair, or, or uh, the, the cushion from a chair, things along those lines, if, as will happen often with, uh, with families with children, that they will carry chametz around, you will check in those places. Um, but, on the other hand, the whole living room, or the whole dining room, right, once it's clean, setting aside, you know, you've cleaned up everything off the floor, really should not take that long. Once already you've swept the floor, right, then basically you swept the floor, you, the floor looks clean, so in, let's say, for example, in a dining room, so the dining room floor is now okay. You want to, let's say, for example, be extra machmir, and let's say, for example, white, and, and use a mop, let's say, for example, and then as a consequence, if there might be a piece there, then it became ruined by the cleaning agent on the mop, um, then in that case, then you've gone beyond what Anything beyond that, in terms of the floor, searching for any little nooks and crannies, etc., etc., is, is absolutely not necessary. Even, I would say, the Torah's Chumrah. And there's Chumrah, there's, you know, there's the Chumrah, which is valid in Halakha, and is a or, or has sources in Allah, and, and, and there are chumros which, uh, which, you know, which people just do. Um, but certainly this year, that's something which is important to know, that people should not um, go beyond what's necessary. It will cause added stress. Again, it's clear to, to me, and I think to everyone, that, uh, that in these present circumstances, it's a huge mimon of shach, that uh, everyone has um, additional, additional stress and additional uh, tension because of uh, the whole situation that everyone is in. Um, now, one of the things that might be done, I just want to throw out a suggestion as well, or an option. I'm not saying that everyone has to do this. It, it comes up in regard to Bedikas Chamit. The Bedikas Chamit sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming. And this strategy that I'm mentioning now is one which might work just in general as well. What a person might do is rely upon a certain view, which is mentioned in the post um, which is you can have, you can, you can convert rooms into non-Chamit rooms which means to say the following. You clean up a room. Let's say, for example, you clean up tomorrow. You tell everyone in the family, assuming that everyone you know is going to listen to you, 
right? They're at the age where they can listen. And you tell everybody, okay, no more chametz in this room at this point in time. This room is absolutely off limits at the present time. Um, there are posts who say that if you do that, then that's makam she'en machnisim b'chametz. Then the place you don't put chametz into, right? Because you've now, prior to bedikas chametz, you've made it into a room where there can't be chametz anymore. And you've already checked to make sure there's no chametz there. Now, generally people don't do that. Most people don't do that. They'll check the entire house, any place where there could be chametz over the course of the whole year. This might be helpful because it allows you to be able to, you know, as opposed to a situation where you say the house is not, is not Pesach yet, right? It allows you to be able to pro- progress in stages. Like now, let's say, for example, theoretically, you could take the whole, it's a house. The whole upstairs is the house. It's not Pesach The whole upstairs is the house. At least, your whole upstairs in the house is not Pesach Tech. There are post who say, Right, the post the, the, say that from their point of view, that once already you've cleaned up the whole room and it's absolutely clear that nobody's bringing chametz there, that theoretically you would not need bedikas chametz in those places anymore. Um, and that just sometimes will just be a little common. Okay, we finished the hall upstairs. You know what I'm saying? And then you sort of like narrow, you know, the the areas of the house which are um, which are which which are you're paying attention to. Um, if a person wants to do bedikas chametz on those areas. Um, I would say that there's a middle ground, which is that you don't have to do as intensive as the Bidikas Chomets in those areas. You can do the Bidikas Chomets a little more quickly. Um, but that's something which I'm putting out there because, again, it's important in terms of the Bidikas Chomets itself that there is that option available uh, to, uh, to, to limit the Bidikas Chomets this year um, and based upon the way I just described it, having a progressive cleaning and those places that you cleaned up. Let's say, for example, if it's upstairs or if it's downstairs, you absolutely clear um, rules in the house and you're not going to bring chametz into those places anymore. Um, and it also, I think, is helpful in, from a psychological point of view. You might say that you think to yourself, okay, so we really, you know, okay, Baruch Hashem. So now, you know, it's now a couple of days, a few days before Pesach, but upstairs is pretty pretty solid and the downstairs is pretty solid. The main floor is now where we have, you know, where chametz is circulating. Um and uh, that just uh, is helpful in terms of uh, the mindset um, of, of helping to be prepared for Pesach. Um, okay, cleaning appliances. This is something which uh, I know a lot of people do. They'll take, for example, a mixer or a blender or a, whatever the case might be, and they'll start cleaning um, the appliances using, uh, let's say, for example, toothpicks, etc. According to Allah, that's absolutely not necessary. You put those appliances away, you sell it together with, you set, you, you don't, we don't necessarily sell appliances per se, um, but we assume that if there's anything there, first of all, as I just described before, the chametz, which might be in a crevice, in a crack, in one of these places, we usually assume is not considered to be Lachilo. If you had any chashash whatsoever, and I'm not devising, then you could put a little bit of, a, a, let's say, for example, detergent there, etc. If you really thought that there was something significant there, and a person otherwise is not going to be calm, then maybe that's a, a way to approach it. But generally assume that you put it away and... Um, that we assume that, that the that if it would have a status of, of chametz, then in that case the beetle will take care of it, um, and uh, you don't have to do anything more. There's no reason, in general, generally, that a person would have to clean um, kalim, which they're not going to be using on Pesach anyways. If you're going to use it on Pesach, it's a whole different story. But sometimes people will end up spending enormous amounts of time cleaning kalim, which they're not going to use on Pesach anyways. So what's the reason? The reason is because of the fact that you're afraid because you're going to be owning chametz on Pesach, then you don't have to worry about this. And you're not going to access it. You're going to put it in a cabinet, right, that's closed off and says Pesach on it, so then you don't have to worry about it um, whatsoever. Okay. Um, okay, I think I basically went through the halachas in terms of cleaning up the house um, before Pesach. Um, so uh, those are 
the basic uh, things to be attentive to. A couple of other details. Toys are a little bit of an issue, depending upon what the toy is. Some toys are pretty easy, pretty straightforward, you know, and you can simply wipe it with a, a rag or something like that, you know, just a moist uh, wipe or rag or something along those lines, and you make sure that it's absolutely clean. Um, you might have a toy which is more intricate, and it could well be that the child, you know, a young child would uh, be eating a cookie, a cracker, uh, pretzels, etc., um, and therefore things um, might have adhered to the sur- surface and gotten into cracks, things along those lines, um, for which reason what you try to do is make a judgment call. In regard to toys that have been cleaned relatively, relatively straightforward and easily, use those toys. Other toys you can simply put away. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll uh, do, the child will have to do with, uh, without those toys over the course of Pesach. That's a judgment call as to whether you can clean a toy um, well or not. One detail which sometimes comes up is in regard to Plato. Um, Plato can, according to some, might be even something like Hametz Gomer. It should put, be put away together with, uh, re, with uh, Hametz and sold um, because it has um, actual Hametz in it. And, uh, and one time I called somebody up in regard to it and said, you know, he said, I'm not sure it's not so edible. You know, I mean, I never tried it, but in any case, but, uh, but uh, in any case, that's uh, something to be attentive to. Um, okay. Um, all right, so that's in regard to looking for looking for um, cleaning up the house in general terms and in regard to Bidika's Chomet. I'll just mention, by the way, what I'll try to be attentive to is um, I'll t- try to look at the chat. So if, um, if, people are, um, if people have questions, then you can post the question. I'll try to answer it. Um, you know, or if it's something which is relevant particularly to you, then I'll answer it afterwards. But um, you can post questions on the chat as well. Okay. So now, in regard to um, kashering, so I'm going to talk first of all about the the kitchen and various different appliances in the kitchen, how to clean up a kitchen, and also how to um, deal with uh, specific kalim if you have to kasher more kalim. So the uh, general principle in halacha is that first of all that things get absorbed, the taste get absorbed when you use something for hot. Um, when you use something, when you put hot food or hot liquid into a into a clean into a utensil, that causes absorption, what's called tam, and you have to extract that tam in order to kosher it. Uh, we're focusing, of course, upon Pesach. It sometimes comes up in regard to kosher as well. Um, one interesting note, by the way, just in case anybody's koshering anything, that the, the poskim say you can kosher, even though we generally try to avoid this, you can kosher from meat to dairy or the reverse. Um, as you're koshering for Pesach. So just something for people to be aware of, that if you're koshering, um, whatever it might be, and you and you say to yourself, you know what, once already we're doing this, uh, then maybe we should uh, switch the status of it. That's something which is um, can be done as you're koshering before Pesach. Again, throughout the rest of the year, we, we try to avoid that. Uh, so in any case, the general principle is kibola kachpoto. However, it went in, that's how it went out. Which means, let's say by way of example, if you have a baking pan, um, which is used in the oven, or a roasting pan, which is used in the oven, that's extremely difficult to kosher. The reason is because of the fact it was used ala ish. There was, it was food, which was placed directly on a pan, which was on the fire. And uh, in order to be able to kosher such an item, you'd have to use something called libun gummer, which I'm highly advising um, everyone not to use. Nobody should use libun gummer. Libun gummer usually involves, um, usually involves uh, using a blowtorch. Libun gummer can also be done with a self-cleaning uh, oven, which we'll get to afterwards. Um, but it, it uh, really requires getting something red hot, and for people who don't know what they're doing, uh, it's not something that you want to attempt uh, on your own. It's, uh, it can be extremely dangerous. So in any case, 
that's an example of kabola kapoto. The way it went in was by the, the, the pan is sitting on the fire, it absorbs the food directly, and then you have to get the flavor out by reversing that process, which then means something called lib, libun, um, which means to say that you get it basically red hot. And then there are other different kinds of um, kashering which, which we have. The most common one that we know about is hagala, which means you take a pot of boiling water and you drop things into it. That's called hagala. It's also called um, something which is uh, libun kal, sometimes it's called, which is a kind of libun where things get to, um, basically for our purposes, the highest temperature of an oven, which is about 550 degrees. Some say it's really less than that. But in any case, that's uh, called libun kal, according to um, many post games. So in any case, those are the various different approaches that we'll, we're gonna, that, that, that come up in regard to um, kashering. There are some others that will come up, but uh, those are the main ones. So let's go through the various different parts of the kitchen and um, what needs to be done. So in regard to an oven, <clears throat> there are two different kinds of oven. Ovens, first of all, that's the inside the oven now, not the stovetop. So inside the oven, there's the um, self-cleaning oven. Self-cleaning ovens are pretty straightforward. Um, self-cleaning oven just means you run a cycle, a self-cleaning cycle. And as long as it got to the maximum temperature, which is something like, I don't know, 850 degrees, that's called Lieben Gomor. That is wiped out and disintegrated everything, and that um, kashers the oven completely. You don't have to do anything else. Um, I, I want to note that sometimes people will say you cover parts of the oven, etc., and I don't tell people necessarily to do that. If you want to be machmir and cover the oven door because you're afraid of certain crevices there, you can. But uh, from my point of view, certainly when you use a self-cleaning oven, that should cause everything to absolutely totally disintegrate um, halakhically, and therefore there's no need to do anything else. Um, just keep in mind the following, in case I just want to mention this now, that if you have heavy-duty oven grates, that's an ideal way to kosher them as well, is to put them into the self-cleaning oven. If you know that they're going to withstand the heat, they're very, very heavy-duty, then that's one way of um, of, uh, of koshering them. And then if there's anything else which might uh, require, you know, ibn gum or you want to put it into the oven and, uh, and kosher it in that way you can, uh, one should just be aware of the fact that the heat is so intense that it will destroy most things, um, you know, except for heavy-duty oven grates. There's very little that will withstand, that will um, withstand the, the uh, heat from a, uh, from a self-cleaning oven. Um, so in any case, that's in regard to a self-cleaning oven. That's pretty straightforward. That should be, um, that should be easy. Um, in regard to a regular oven, so there's a machlokes, a famous machlokes amongst the poskim. Uh, hold on one second. Um, yeah, so uh, the question is whether I'm referring to the stovetop grates. Yes, I'm referring to the stovetop grates, but if they're heavy-duty, um, stovetop grates, then you'd be able to put them into the self-cleaning oven. We'll get to how to kosher grates soon, okay, but I'm just mentioning that as an option, and that is, you know, from a halachic point of view, absolutely ideal, right? It might be a little easier if, uh, as well, for some people. In any case, that's in regard to self-cleaning oven. Regular oven that does not have a self-cleaning function. Uh, so that was a famous debate. Um, the, there is a strict point of view, as many of you might be aware of, that uh, was the view of Rav Moshe Feinstein, that uh, in regard to a regular oven, uh, koshering it basically is not going to work, and you can't kosher it by turning it to the highest temperature, and consequently, uh, what you have to do is something like creating like some kind of oven insert, which is going to be used in the oven over the course of Pesach, and you only will make food inside that oven insert. Um, I, for quite some time, since I spoke to Rabbanim, um, you know, in terms of what's done, what's the Minigan Klaisel, generally the Minigan Klaisel is to follow another opinion, often associated with Rafan Cutler, 
um, great Rosh Yeshiva from a few generations ago, um, who was uh, of the position that uh, Kabbalah Kapoto applies over here. And therefore, what you do in regard to a regular oven is that you um, clean the oven well. Now, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you have to clean the oven so that like, you have to scrape off, you know, you have a color on the outside of the on part of the oven. You have to keep on scraping at it. If it's just there, it's n- nothing of significance that's left over, then you don't have to continue cleaning. But you should clean off anything, any substance which is adhering to the walls of the oven. Uh, once you've done that, then you close the oven, you turn it to its highest temperature, let's say, for an hour, um, it's usually about 550 degrees, and that um, then kashers uh, the oven. That's uh, what generally is followed in, by most people in Kleisel. Again, a person wants to be machmer, they can, but on the other hand, that's generally what's followed. There is a distinction between the self-cleaning oven and the regular oven. Um, this, when you do what's called libun gomor, a self-cleaning oven, then the libun gomor, we assume, in halachically, totally destroys everything. It's a destruction. It's not. It's not tempering or reducing or um, um, you know somehow uh, re- reducing the taste, but uh, which is there. But it totally destroys anything which is there. It's like the oven halachically is totally new, uh, and therefore you can use the oven right beforehand. Let's say, for example, to make I don't know what pizza, and then immediately afterwards you can then kosher the entire oven for, without waiting at all. Because if, even if there's real taste, which is there, so that's not considered to be a problem whatsoever. In regard to self-cleaning oven, there's no, there's no downtime which is required. In regard to a regular oven, um, and basically all the other ways of kashering, we always emphasize, Allah emphasizes that you should wait 24 hours without using um, that um, object or that uh, utensil, that uh, equipment. Um, certainly for hot, we try to avoid using it for, we, we avoid using it for 24 hours. And that way, from a halachic point of view, I'll just say very briefly, there's something called Eno um, Benyomo, means to say the taste is now more than 24 hours old. It's now no Sintan Lefgam. The taste is no longer considered to be a real taste, and therefore um, that gives you greater confidence that the kashering process will take place in the proper way. Uh, so that's something which is important to know, that uh, in regard to a self-cleaning oven, you don't have to wait whatsoever. You can use it you know, to make supper, and then you can do the self-cleaning cycle, and you wake up the next morning, right, and everything's totally fine. If you have a regular oven, you're kashering a regular oven, then you want to make sure it's not going to be used um, for 24 hours uh, prior to um, prior to kashering it. That's in regard to um, that's in regard to ovens. Now, there's a discussion about the warming drawers, um, so I'll just mention uh, just one second. Um, so, the cleaning the oven with easy off first before self-cleaning, absolutely not. Um, that's not necessary at all. Uh, the the oven, um, as I just mentioned now, a self-cleaning oven, Libun Gomor, we assume, destroys everything. Um, so if there's anything there, it's, it halakhically doesn't exist anymore. Um, so there's no reason to clean out a self-cleaning oven. Um, now, if, if uh, in regard to a, a warming drawer, I would generally assume that uh, in regard to a warming drawer, there are, there are numerous... Uh, Kashrus agencies and Rabbanim who say that warming drawers are difficult to kasher for Pesach, uh, and um, therefore, because the fact that it's difficult to get it to a temperature where you're conf- in which you're going to be confident it's being kashered, um, there is a method which is, is which is mentioned by the CRC. CRC is a very reputable and reliable kashrus agency. 
um, which they mentioned using a sterno for a number of hours, not, not, not for a short period of time, sterno for a number of hours in a particular kind of way, and that's in Kasha warming drawer. Sometimes I'm mentioning that, especially this year, if it's difficult, if people are generally not used to staying home, and they don't have the, uh, you know, the, the, they're nervous about having to keep certain food warm, etc., etc., then there is um, a, I don't generally uh, um, uh, suggest this on a lichavchima basis, but certainly this year, if a person felt that they needed to use a, um, a uh, warming drawer, you can contact me, um, and, or you can take a look yourselves. The CRC uh, does provide some guidance from their perspective on how that could be done. Again, I don't consider that necessarily lichavchima, but that's something which is uh, which is possible, especially to see if it's more difficult for people. About the microwaves, my own take on microwaves is the following: um, is that some people will just straightforwardly give you advice on how to kosher a microwave. I don't like koshering microwaves uh, for Pesach because I think, you know, looking at our own microwave, microwaves by they always get dirty. There's a tremendous amount of steam that builds up. The steam gets into all kinds of cracks and crevices. You know, it's not like one one piece. There are tons of cracks and crevices there. And there's also areas that are difficult to access. So for example, there's a fan, right? There's a mesh there, um, et cetera, et cetera. You think of the standards that we try to keep in regard to Pesach, very, very difficult to, uh, to, to from my point of view, to see how you get to a situation of Lichat Chilah. And then, after all is said and done, if you're going to kosher your microwave, so... Cautious agencies often tell you the following. Number one, you can't use your glass. Some of them will even throw in the glass turntable at the bottom. That you definitely can't use, right? Following, at least for Ashkenazim. You definitely can't use it because we don't cash your glass. Then, in addition to that, some say, oh, and by the way, cover the, the, uh, the, the glass, you know, uh, on the door. <laughs> now you have make over the glass covered on the door, no glass turntable unless you bought like a new one or something like that. Oh, oh and, and one more thing. Best thing is probably to cover all the food you're going to heat up in the microwave anyways. So, in other words, this is okay. I mean, if a person, let's say, if a person had absolutely no other choice, they could do this. And Mikra Din, I will also tell someone that they need to. I would say, to the extent that it's uh, possible, if a person can buy a cheap microwave for Pesach, again, I know that this is an imposition, but even this year, I would say, my perspective, buying a cheap microwave is just an investment which is worthwhile. Of all the things that we... Um, that, you know, that uh, we do for, for Pesach, this is a relatively easy one because microwaves oftentimes do not cost that much money. A r- regular rudiment- rudimentary kind of uh, microwave. So I think that this is something which is um, which is worthwhile because, again, even when the protocols for using it, um, oftentimes they very end up being very restrictive anyways. Okay, let's turn to the stovetop. In stovetop, um, basically, there are various different types of stovetops. There's the... Um, a gas stovetop, an electric coil stovetop, and uh, the and then there's a glass stovetop, which is a little more of an issue. Um, in regard to the in regard to the uh, the the um, let's take the I guess maybe the uh, le- the electric element, the one which comes to, which glows, right? That uh, the the and that's how the stovetop works. So that's pretty easy. All you do is you turn it up to the highest temperature for 15 minutes, let's say. And then it becomes totally 100% kosher. That's not considered to be a problem at all. And also, usually those things don't have grates. You usually put it directly on top of this electrical, this electric coil. Um, and that's in regard to koshering that. In regard to a gas um, um, stovetop, so then it's going to usually have grates which are sitting on top, the stovetop grates. And the stovetop grates um, have to be cleaned. Um, now, 
they should, they, sometimes if they're heavy duty, again, you can kosher them by putting them into the self-clean oven. Um, or alternatively, if that's not an option or you're nervous in regard to them, then what you are supposed to be doing is the following in order to kosher them. You should, um, you're supposed to, you're supposed to um, expose them to high heat uh, for an extent, for enough time for them to, be, them to become very, very hot. Um, the way that that's done is by turning the burner to the highest temperature. Uh, now, what I advise people to do is, because of the fact that heat dissipates very easily, what I advise people to do, <clears throat> you don't necessarily have to use a blech, even though it's one method which sometimes people will use, take a pot. Um, and the pot really doesn't really matter because the pot is really dry. Uh, but take a pot, put a little bit of water into the pot, um, you know, enough so that you're not going to, the pot's not going to burn on the fire. Then you turn the fire on, and that way, on that grate, on that burner, the heat is trapped underneath, right? So it just causes the heat to build up and leave it on again for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then you do this with, with, with a pot of some size. You do it on one burner, sometimes maybe two burners at a time, um, and you do this extremely carefully. But in any case, in that way, all the burners, are ne- are the, all the burners and the grates for those respective burners are now considered to be koshered. Um, altogether, that should take probably less than an hour if you have four burners. Um, now, and again, that's assuming you do each one separately. One thing to be attentive to on a practical level, because this happened to us one year, is that don't do all the burners at once. That's my own take on things, because uh, we once did this, and we had a black, and we did all the burners at once, and then next thing you knew, the countertop next to it was damaged, because there was so much heat that built up underneath that it caused damage to the um, countertop next to the um, stovetop. So just be aware of that and be attentive to the uh, to the making sure that you're not going to damage anything in the process. Obviously, whenever you're kashering anything, you always have to be around and making sure that you know what you're doing. Um, you know, making sure that you you know you don't go any like leave the house or or go somewhere for an extended period of time. You have to keep your eye on things. Um, that's in regard to electric electric element like those coils, and that's in regard to a gas stovetop. Um, in both those circumstances, the general custom is to try to cover the areas, um, clean and cover the areas, um, first of all, underneath the grates. Um, in other words, there's like a little cavity underneath, right? So to clean that area and then to cover it with aluminum foil. And the same is true in regard to covering the areas of the stove between the grates as well. Because you can't really kosher those areas. And it could be that things spill there. It's not uncommon. If you have a pot of chicken soup, right, which is boiling, or it can, let's use mushroom barley, which is like real chametz. You have a pot of mushroom barley soup. How uncommon is it for the mushroom barley, um, either when you're serving or when you're, when you're um, tasting it or when you're uh, serving it, etc., for some of it to spill onto the stovetop, and therefore following our practices of being careful in regard to, um, in regard to Pesach, so we will cover um, those areas. Um, now, in regard to a glass stovetop, it's a lot more of a problem. Um, some will come up with ways of kashering a glass stovetop. Um, the straightforward, uh, the straightforward understanding of the halacha is for, for Ashkenazim, this is a very significant problem. Um, for Svarim, not so much, because because there's a fundamental um, disagreement between Svarim and Ashkenazim. Um, it's based upon the position of the Chaber and the Ramon, the Shulchan Aruch, as to whether the status of glass for Pesach. Svarim, some people might think after I say this, I'm going to switch over to, you know, to a Svarti approach in regard to this. Right, they have to take on all their halachos, but you can't do that anyways. But anyway, anyway, so in regard to um, in regard to glass, they hold the glass does not absorb. They hold that you can use regular glass, which you've used throughout the entire year. There's no need to kasher; just make sure it's clean. It could be used for Pesach. An astonishing, you know, for Ashkenazi, that's an astonishing. Seriously, you know, you can use glass 
So, in any case, yeah, they hold it doesn't need kashering. They hold that it it's totally absolutely kosher because glass does not absorb whatsoever. Ashkenazim, in a sense, goes to the other extreme on Pesach. We hold, we have a problem kashering glass. We don't even know how to kosher glass for Pesach. So, for that reason, it obviously creates a huge problem in regard to a glass stovetop. The glass stovetop has, is, is, uh, we assume according to this sheet that has absorbed, but we can't kosher it. So what are we supposed to do? <clears throat> What's generally said is something along the lines of, um, that you will use uh, trivets or things along those lines, or maybe like a, a kind of disc. Um, I, I haven't used them. We don't have a we don't have that kind of oven. Um, something along those lines, so that nothing will come into contact with the stovetop itself um, over the course of uh, Pesach, and we heat things up in that way. Um, just to be clear, there are other ways of trying to in quotation marks kosher, etc. But number one, not everyone agrees to them, and number two. You have to be really, really, really careful because apparently these glass stovetops um, can, if you if you don't treat them in the right way, they can break, um, and uh, that's something to be attentive to as well. So in any case, if you need if you have a glass stovetop and you have questions in regard to it, so um, be in touch with me. Um, okay. So now now we've covered basically ovens and we've covered um, we've covered uh, we've we've covered ovens and we have covered um, the stovetops as well. And we also cover microwaves. Now, turn to counters for a minute. I don't, just something for everybody to consider. Um, certain counters can be, can be koshered if it's made of granite or some other kind of, uh, rock or stone. Um, so it can be koshered. Uh, we personally cover our countertops. Um, and generally for the hamonam, for most people, unless you really, really, like, find, it's so distasteful that your countertops are, are covered. Uh, so it's a lot easier to cover countertops rather than koshering them. Um, as we're going to get to now, I'm going to try to do it very briefly and can provide more details to anyone who needs to know more. But in any case, it's a huge pain in the neck. It's really not easy to do. Um, it makes a huge mess. You have to be extremely careful as, you know, in terms of what you're doing. Um, for most people, even if you can kosher your countertops, I, I would advise people to, uh, to clean them off and then just cover them. Um, you know, with the, you know, Pesach contact paper, et cetera, that, you know, that is sold this time of year. Um, and sometimes people will get thicker things as well, that, but in any case, you cover it in some way, shape, or form. So, in order to kosher countertops, you have to take lots of boiling water and pour the boiling water all over the surface of the countertop. And the surface of the countertop doesn't mean that you'll say, for example, pour it on the countertop and it spills all over the place, and then that's considered to be koshered. You have to actually pour it directly, called irukhlirishon, onto the area of the countertop. So you have to pour it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, etc., in order to kosher it. Is it possible? The answer is absolutely yes. Is it, is it uh, difficult? Yes, it is very difficult. And, and uh, for that reason, um, again, um, if a person is thinking about it, I'd say, you know, just make sure that you're up to it and that you're going to do it properly. And also consider as to whether it might just make things easier just to cover the countertops over the course of uh, Pesach. Um, that's a good question. How thick does the cover have to be for a countertop? There are, this is something, one of the things which is not so clear. Um, there are people who get a thicker kind of uh, covering for the countertop. Like, you know, something like uh, either some people I think will even like cut their own cardboard or things along those lines. Or they'll use, I'm trying to remember what it's called, some kind of something board um, to cover the countertops. Mika Radin, even regard to Pesach, we assume that once it's already considered to be clean, um, and so then I think that using contact paper is permissible, um, that it is permissible, that we don't assume that uh, in order for something really to be a problem, Mika Radin, it would be a problem, it would, it would uh, 
going to require um, uh, a whole confluence of, of situation of, of uh, circumstances. So covering it really should be enough with contact paper. And again, if a person wants to be a little bit more machmir, then there are other these other things which are sold um, to create a thicker uh, kind of uh, barrier. Um, now, in terms of a sink, so if you have a stainless steel sink, so what you do is what I described before, which is called irreclirishon. You boil a pot of water. Just make sure that the pot, on the one hand, shouldn't be too small because you want to use a lot of water, but make sure it's not too much, that it's going to be so heavy, and and therefore will be it, it will be difficult to use. Another And chas you have to be very, very careful when you're pouring it. Chamir sakantim yisuri, you have to be careful not to get any hot water on yourself, that it shouldn't splash too much. So you have to be able to know, to be able to hold it with, uh, you know, a sense of confidence. You have to have an excellent set of oven gloves or the equivalent thereof, right? You should be able to hold it, again, in a firm kind of way. And you fill up a pot of, you put, fill up a pot with water. Um, really, even though ideally it should be a Pesach pot, but really any pot really can be used as long as the pot wasn't used in 24 hours. Really any pot could be used for this purpose. Um, and then you uh, wait until it gets to a rolling boil, you can't just, not just like a little bit of bubbles, a rolling boil. Already there's a significant bubbling, you know, and the, the, the water is not, uh, even the surface really is, has a lot, significant number of bubbles. And at that point in time, you pick it up and, um, within a short period of time. In other words, you don't let it sit there for a while. You have to use it while it's still effectively, it's coming right off of that rolling boil. And then you pour it, um, into the sink and you want to hit every area of the sink. In other words, let's say in our house, I'll sometimes for a given sink will for sure use two and sometimes maybe even get into a third pot, um, depending on how large the pot is, because you want to, again, go back and forth. You have to want to come up with a system. Let's say you start on the sides and maybe you'll work towards the middle. Some people will start in the middle and then work towards the sides. And it should be hitting directly onto every area of the sink. Um, so that takes a while, okay? And uh, you have to try to be attentive to it. And then at that point in time, the sink itself is considered to be kashered. You should also do the, like, all areas of the metal of the sink itself. Um, and uh, then you also want to kasher, luchumra, this is what most people will do, the faucets. You want to pour into the faucets. The faucets are not so much of an issue. And also to pour, um, I'm sorry, on the, the knobs, the handles, and also the faucet, um, you want to pour onto that as well. So, in regard to the faucet, that's just something to be aware of. That in regard to the faucet, there's uh, something which, you know, usually fits in the end of the faucet, I think called the aerator or something like that, which prevents little uh, any sediment from coming out. Um, that's something which some advise that one should try to replace. Um, if you can find something to replace it with, then fine. Um, uh, it can be kashered if you, if, you, uh, if you clean it well, if you scrub it with something like a brush or something like that. And then you, um, and then you, let's say for example, you do take that same pot, and then you can hold it up against the um, against the faucet, and then usually the faucet will fit into the if you make sure the water is high enough in the pot, then the faucet basically is now immersed in the water, and it's kosher to the end of the faucet. So, um, in any case, uh, so that's a way of um, koshering the faucet. Again, some people replace the thing at the end of the faucet. And in regard to one of the things that sometimes people try to replace is the um, is the strainer that you have that you put in the sink um, in order so that uh, things get caught before they go down the drain. That also, because the post game will say that when things, these two items, when they have small holes and there's a lot of places where things can get trapped, so we're less confident we can clean it well. 
um, people will try to order something or another, you know, in order to, uh, which is usually not expensive and it's pretty easy to get something which you can replace. It doesn't have to be high quality. It's just for Pesach um, to replace this. So uh, that's something which if a person is not able to, so I think a person is justified in making sure to clean it really well and then kashering it. You pour boiling water all over it. Um, but on the other hand, there's a lichatchilof, you can replace these items. That's something to look into. It's not a bidyevid, it's at least lichatchilof. question came up as to whether you're allowed to use electric kettle. The answer is absolutely yes. You can use an electric kettle, wait until it boils over, and then you can use an electric kettle. Um, again, it depends. You know, I don't use an electric kettle only because of the fact the electric kettle is smaller and uh, have to keep on filling it up, our, our electric kettle. But if that works for somebody or they want to use the electric kettle to conjun- conjunction with, you know, it's like another thing, it's easy to heat up, then certainly that will... Um, they can use that for costuring as well after immediately after it boils. Um, and in regard to the sink, a very good question, which I was, I don't know if I would remember this, so thank you for pointing out that the sink should be unused for 24 hours beforehand. Um, now, if you need to, let's say, for example, wash your hands in the sink and use it for light use, that's not so much of an issue um, because sometimes people will, you know, cordon off the sink and not use it for 24 hours for anything. Um, and if people want to be machmer that way just as an extra... Zahiros, that's totally fine. Um, but really, the issue is that nothing should get absorbed into the sink over the course of 24 hours. So if you, let's say, wash and tail sedaim in the sink, um, nothing happened. And if you, uh, even if uh, some cold liquid or food got into the sink, per se, that's not necessarily a problem. Um, one should be very, very careful not to turn on the hot water and not to put anything um, that has any heat in the sink for the 24 hours. Um, when kashering the stove, um, a kashering brick when kashering this when kashering this stove. So I, I personally am very much not in favor. I'm I, I almost was not going to mention that. I know that this might for some people sound a little strange. I'm not at all confident that the Amon Am will know what in the world they're doing with a kashering brick, which is a stone an Evan Malubon, which you heat up um, over a fire, then you hold on to it, um, and then you. Uh, we'll use that in order to, at the same time as, uh, as you're kashering under the stove, and it, it should be the sink, right? That is corrected afterwards. But anyway, if you kashering the sink, then you pour the water, and then you have the Evan Malub on there. Now, if a person knows what they're doing, they are of the utmost confidence. They have the utmost confidence. They're not going to hurt some, themselves, etc. Then, then I'll say, Tavala Bracha. <laughs> Some might say Tavala Bracha in more than one sense, because we're going to give the person the Bracha, everything should go well. But, um, but, I am not going, I don't even recommend, the reason I wasn't mentioning that, that was actually deliberate. I'm very nervous that somebody, you have multiple people who try this, and then somebody doesn't know what they're doing, and they think that they're going to hold it with the tongs, and it doesn't work, and they let go of it, etc., etc. I remember one time I had something the equivalent of an Evan Malubin, which I used, and the amount of steam, like it was almost like an explosion of steam when the hot water came into contact with it. Um, I'm not at all confident people know what they're doing. It's because, you know, again, this, the, the hot, this Evan Malouin can get so hot that hot water comes into contact with it. It's, like it, it's almost like a, sometimes it can be a kind of explosion. Um, so, so if a person does it, they have to know exactly what they're doing. They have to be very, very, very careful. And for that reason, I would um, suggest that someone who is going to use the Evan Malouin, um, you know, be, use every precaution possible, and otherwise, Mikoradin, we assume that even without using the Evan Malubon, the Evan Malubon is a Maila, is a Heder and Halacha, but, uh, but, but again, the stink can be kashered without it um, as well. Okay, in regard to a hot water urn, hot water urn is one of those things where, you know, we've been making Pesach on home year after year after year, so we have a hot water urn for Pesach. That's obviously a Maila, it's uh, considered to be better. Um, if a person is home for Pesach, let's say, for example, this year, 
um, because of the circumstances and they don't have a lot of kalim, um, then the following, with the condition that they don't use hot water urn to heat up food, let's say sometimes people will use a hot water urn to put challah or things on top of it, um, if that's not true, and generally they use it only with hot water, um, then there are ways, according to the halacha, that a hot water urn can be tashed with a high level of um, with a high level of confidence. Now, there can be details in regard to this, so a person might want to call me up and ask me some of the details. I'll just mention the following. That if you use it almost always with hot water, you now somebody might say, but I use it a lot with, plate, with, uh, with, let's say, for example, oatmeal and other kinds of chametz, that can be a little bit more of a problem. But there are those who say that you can kasher the plastic. It's on multiple grounds. Um, number one, um, and this was the assumption that is an interesting question that I, I actually left. It's a... Uh, I spoke about this for a few minutes and I put it on the WhatsApp group that we have on the question of kashering uh, plastic for Pesach. So it's a machlokes. And uh, this year in particular, I think that there's more room to be made because a lot of posts can hold a mikra then you can kasher plastic. Um, so the spout is the main issue, right? That's maybe obvious. But the spout is really the main issue in regard to an urn. And what some posting will say is that you um, can kasher the spout. They will say that, number one, you run hot water through the, um, through the, uh, what you'll do is one of two things. Either you pour hot water over the spout and you, um, at the same time, then have it filled up with hot water and run the hot water through it. So basically the hot water is running from all sides at the same time. So kibolo tachpolto. Um, and some will say that maybe the best thing to do is like take a pot of hot water and push it up against the spout, if that works, depending on the structure of the, um, of the, uh, of the hot water urn. So then that might be a way of kashering it as well. Um, you can speak to me about details. I would advise that somebody would ask me about the details. But I do think that there are valid ways, when necessary, of, of um, kashering an urn for Pesach with the condition that it wasn't used with food and that there's not a lot of food around it generally. Um, and this is not something which necessarily I would advise. If, somebody's, if, if somebody has, is keeping pace out year after year after year, then it makes sense to you know, invest into um, having an urn and then being totally confident it's, it's miyuchad for Pesach. But if a person really needs it, um, then there are ways to do it, and you might want to get in touch with me just to review some of the details which I just mentioned now. Um, there was a question, um, can we kasher with a kettle that hasn't been used in 24 hours on a glass stovetop that has not been... Um, Kashered. So, in other words, the answer would be yes. If you take a kettle um, that hasn't been used in 24 hours, and that's like a kli, any like a pot which hasn't been used in 24 hours, and you only pour it onto a glass stovetop, so then that's a way of. Uh, I'm not going to understand the question. There are those who talk about pouring water onto glass um, in order to kasher it. So that, yes, then that that would be a way of addressing that. Um, okay, great. Fine. That's, so we now did sinks. Water dispenser. Water dispenser is basically the same as an urn. Um, the cold part of the water dispenser should not be a problem. They say that you should switch over if you have a, a water dispenser that has a, uh, a replaceable, um, um, replaceable uh, um, water tank, or whatever you call that exactly. So then you should replace that just in case um, and get a new one. Uh, also, I saw somewhere or another they mentioned something to the effect that if they are, if they, if they, I don't know. Anyway, so in any case, then you would be able to do that. Um, and then on the other hand, in terms of the hot tap, if the water dispenser has a hot tap, that's a, more of a, an issue, and then you should treat that like an urn. Um, so in any case, then, but the cold could be used separately, right? You could use the cold and not the hot. Uh, so in any case, that's in regard to a water dispenser. In regard to a hot plate, it depends. 
Um, if you have a hot plate which has like a glass surface, it's much more of a problem based upon what we said before. If it has a metal surface, um, then certainly there's a lot more ground to be able to be makele to 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 um, to use a, a hot plate, which you've used throughout the year. And uh, what would be advisable is a person would um, would um, would clean it off very well, turn it to the highest temperature, um, and then maybe cover it with one level, with one layer of uh, of aluminum foil. But in any case, I would advise that only regard to one which is uh, metal. Um, okay. So now, in regard to a kurig, for those people who really, really, really um, okay, so now in regard to a Brita tank that never leaves the fridge. Somebody asked the question about a Brita tank which never leaves the fridge. Um, the answer is yes. A Brita tank which never leaves the fridge should, should be totally fine because uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not coming into contact with any... It's, it's, it's the inside of it is certainly not compromised. It shouldn't be coming into contact with anything hot, um, right? And uh, if, the, if, 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 if you have an issue in regard to it, you might want to, let's say, for example, just do Erui over the... Um, over the spout where it comes out of. But I wouldn't, uh, yeah, you don't have to do more than that. Just eerie alone, just in case. Um, okay, so now, in regard to a kurig, in regard to a kurig, there are ways of kashering a kurig. Um, it's usually not practical in the workplace, but if you're at home, then, um, yeah, so kashering the metal hot plate lichatrila, I'd say the answer is yes. I would say that if, if uh, you turn it to the highest temperature um, and you leave it there for a while, and then you cover it with, I would say, maybe I should clarify, with thick aluminum foil or two or three layers of aluminum foil, um, that should be fine. Because the, however, whatever got absorbed into it should have, um, should have, uh, should have, um, you know, should have uh, been koshered in the fashion that I just described now. Um, so, now, in regard to a kurig, so um, a kurig, can be kosher. It's not so complicated. Um, if you, first of all, you have to take out the, now I haven't done this, so because you have to figure this out, the thing which holds the Keurig cup um, would have to be take, taken out and kosher, right? I think it's made, it's made of plastic. So we're assuming that you can kosher plastic in this context, in addition to other considerations. It's not clear how it necessarily became non-Pesach, you know, what got absorbed into it. Um, oftentimes it's not like real chametz, right? That we're, but we have a concern that maybe something got into it. Uh, so, therefore, you take that out and you kosher it, probably by dropping it into a pot of boiling water, which we'll get to later. Um, and uh, then you run a cycle of hot, one cycle, uh, uh, one cycle through the kurig using a kosher lepesach um, kurig uh, kurig cup. Okay, so that way the you've had a cycle of the hot water going through. Um, the Kurig cup makes sure that you know that it's going to touch the surface it usually touches. The major concern is in regard to the housing, let's call it, that holds the Kurig cup. That should be removed from the machine. I understand that it is removable, and then you and then you um, and then you uh, drop that into a pot of boiling water. Okay, and then you should be able to use the uh, Kurig. Obviously, the rest of the machine has to be cleaned. Has to be cleaned well. Dishwashers generally should not be used for Pesach. There are lots of details in regard to this. For our purposes, um, I'll just say that generally I tell people it's just a pain in the neck. Um, if you have like a stainless steel, you know, um, dishwasher, you're going to clean it out extremely well. You're going to replace the racks, etc. And then in that case, then maybe. Um, but uh, but otherwise, it's just too much of a pain in the neck, and it's uh, it's uh, too complicated and too many halachic issues. In regard to refrigerator, generally. Will we still move back to refrigerator? Refrigerators should not take so long to clean out. 
you clean it out well, use some kind of, uh, you know, let's say, for example, cleaning agent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't see anything <laughs> where you have to wipe it out again, you can't see anything, so therefore it's not there. Halakhically, we assume that if you can't see the chametz, it's not there. The chametz is not a, chametz is not tumor. Okay, it's not uh, it's not something metaphysical. It is something which is real. So if you can't see anything, then we assume generally it's not there. So you clean it out well, then, and that does require some time. You take have to take out drawers, and you know then you notice that there are crevices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so you clean it out well, and obviously you want to be especially attentive because you put food inside the refrigerator, and then generally the custom is to cover the surfaces of the of the of the refrigerator. That is a common custom. It's, I couldn't say it's called absolute heel, but it is certainly is something which many, many people will do. One thing which is important is to then puncture holes. If you're going to cover the surfaces, puncture holes in various different places so the air can circulate, because it's the refrigerator, um, for it to function normally, it requires circulation of air, so you want to allow the air to circulate. Um, and again, that's a hedor um, that people have, is to cover all the surfaces even after they've cleaned it. Um, now, in regard to an ice machine, or the uh, you can have a, an ice machine which is separate, an ice machine which you have in the refrigerator, in the freezer itself, um, those can be used. In order to use it, and this, that matter, this is something which is advisable sometimes in regard to the freezer as well, in regard to use this, so what you should do is you should clean it out well. Sometimes that might require you defrosting the freezer. Um, not always, it depends whether your freezer, you know, sometimes the freezer can build up all kinds of ice, etc., and then it may be advisable to defrost it. It can be a pain in the neck, but nonetheless, you know, once a year you do that um, in order to be able to see as to whether maybe the, there might be food particles which are around. That is actually somewhat logical. Uh, but in any case, uh, that's something to be attentive to. The, but otherwise, you're allowed to use an ice machine or you're allowed to use um, the ice maker in a fridge or in a freezer because, again, as we just mentioned now, you know, there's no reason to think that there should be comments. You don't have to cashier it in any which way. Um, okay. In regard to blenders, food processors, just put them away. We generally don't use them. Theoretically, if you had the piece, the housing, the, like the, the motor, and the motor you assume is clean, um, or you can clean it out well, and, uh, you know, there's nothing signif- of significance here. You're not afraid that it's dirty. Um, and also, you can replace the, um, the, the parts in which you put the food. Then you might be able to, let's say, for example, use a, a, um, a blender um, or a food processor. You might be able to, um, but very often it's impractical, and then people just get new ones for Pesach. So just saying in general, in, in general, we generally assume that the plastic and the, and the, um, that the uh, that the food processes are, are get dirty and they and they the, the pieces and let's say for example the blades and other things to clean it in a way in which we're absolutely confident it just seems uh, that that doesn't fit with uh, the standards that we have in regard to Pesach um, tablecloths and towels in regard to um, Pesach you can simply um, put them in the washing machine and turn them off to the highest uh, you know the hot setting. And then they come out, and as long as there's nothing which adheres to them, you know, just uh, look quickly to make sure that there's no, no, no particles on it, either before or afterwards, and they can be used for Pesach without a problem. You can use exactly the same tablecloth, and you can use exactly the same towels. Obviously, if it's, a, let's say, for example, a plastic tablecloth, then you can't do any of this, and then it's not relevant. You have to get new ones for Pesach. Um, oven mitts, one should get new oven mitts. Um, one should not use the same oven mitts, because how in the world is it supposed to clean the oven mitts in a way in which you're confident you're not going to have... Um, any residue of comments left over, so you should get new oven mitts for Pesach. High chairs should be cleaned well. Um, don't try to do Libun Gamer on your high chair. 
but uh, in any case, um, your high chair should be cleaned well. And after you clean it well, very often what's done is you put uh, you put um, contact paper on the tray, and then that's the way the high chair is used over the course of uh, Pesach. It's not so much of a concern. We put, don't put hot food on the tray anyway. Um, grills, I don't advise people to kosher their grills. Um, if you want to kosher your grill, so you should speak to somebody who's an expert in regard to koshering. Um, I know of, let's say, for example, somebody in kosher who would kosher his grill for Pesach, but he really knew what he was doing. And again, it requires getting it to extreme temperatures, making sure that you're doing it in just a precise kind of way. To the extent that it's not necessary, I don't advise people doing it. It's one of those things which is theoretically possible, but uh, is oftentimes impractical. Um, unless you really know what you're doing, and also impractical, and you don't want to do anything uh, dangerous. Card to kosher in Kalim. So this is something which is relevant every year, but it's relevant especially this year. Um, because there are people who are staying home and they don't have Pesach Kalim, um, as others who stay home on a yearly basis uh, have. So you can kosher Kalim. Um, basically what mostly is koshered is, as I mentioned before, is metal. Um, and things that are metal definitely can be koshered. That means, for example, a Kiddush cup can be koshered and the, the little plate goes under the Kiddush cup and can be koshered. And um, you can kosher, let's say, for example, silverware. You generally mean kosher silverware. Um, what you do in regard to each of these items is, first of all, again, it should be in a binyomo. You don't use it for 24 hours. Then you get a pot, which is also in a binyomo. Usually we get a larger pot because we want to be able to kosher more, um, you know, at the same time. So usually a larger pot is better. And then what you do is you um, drop in these, you wait till the pot gets to a rolling boil. Now, lichatchila, 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 I will mention there are people who are makhmed, and it's mentioned in sources they use either a pot which you will only for koshering, or it has to be a kosher Pesach pot. Um, Mikaradin, really you can use any pot which hasn't been used in 24 hours. Any pot which hasn't been used in 24 hours, Mikaradin can be used. So, you then drop in the silverware one by one. Don't drop it in all at once. Um, but whatever, or silverware, the, 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 uh, for example, the Kiddush cup, etc., drop it in one by one. Um, and then you have to make sure that the rolling boil continues. In other words, what often happens is when you drop in, let's say, for example, a Kiddush cup and uh, five knives, you've now dropped in five knives, so now, because it's absorbed the heat, so the rolling boil has settled to a large degree. You have to wait until the rolling boil builds up once again, and then you can continue. Uh, generally, the, the practice is that you can take, each person is different. If you have a, a large amount, then... Um, you might want to extract things on an ongoing basis using a tong, um, tongs or something similar to that. Um, you take it out carefully. Um, the minag is to rinse it off in cold water in the sink immediately, or you know, rinse it off in cold water. You can have another pot with cold water. You rinse it off right away. Um, that's the minhag, and then that's ready to go. If you have a smaller amount to kasher, then you can wait until you finish everything. Then you can put in, let's say, you have only five or six items, small items to put in, so put in everything, and then you can pour all the hot water. Out of the um, out of the pot into the sink, it's just a lot easier than trying to extract it with tongs. Um, so, just one thing to be attentive to is it has to be clean. It has to be clean first of all. You have to make sure it's cleaned well beforehand. Secondly, if you have something which is very dirty, like it easily gets dirty, that's more of a problem. Um, that might sometimes be an issue, but most things you can clean pretty well. Then you put it into the water. Make sure the rolling boil is maintained; that it's not going to settle down. Sometimes you have to wait a little while until it comes back once again, and then you extract it and you put it under cold water, as I mentioned before. Um, now, 
What if you have to kosher the pot? It's, it, now, this can be done, by the way, kosher can be done in stages. So let's say, for example, if I have something which is a little bit large, they say, how am I supposed to get it in? But I can get half of it in at a time. So you can kosher half and half. It's, it's unlike, people sometimes get mixed up, it's unlike tefillah's kalim. Tefillah's kalim, um, oh, so that's the question which was just asked now. Um, so the uh, tefillah's kalim is different. Tefillah's kalim, the whole kli has to be in the water at the same time. The campaign hatsitsa and has to be all simultaneously under the water and t- in contact with the water. I mean, in regard to koshering, that's not true. So sometimes, in regard to especially something larger, that can be very helpful to know. You kosher this part of it, and then you kosher another part of it in two or th- more stages, um, and that's considered totally fine. It's not a problem whatsoever to kosher in stages. Um, and um, now, the, if you have something, if, first of all, if you want to kosher the pot itself, um, then you should do the following. Um, don't use what sometimes they refer to in Nalacha, going back to a question which was posed before, is the Evan Walubad idea. You fill up the pot without water, now you want to kosher this pot. You don't have a larger pot to put it into. So this is the largest pot. You want to kosher it. So now, I'm going to kosher it. So you fill up with hot water, the water is boiling, but it's not spilling over the sides. That's the problem. If it's not spilling over the sides, then that creates an issue. So what you do is, Evan Walubad. That is not just for the people who are brave. It's for the people who really know what they're doing. Then you could try the Evan Walubad. Otherwise, another approach which is mentioned on a practical level, which I think makes so much sense, is the following. Okay? If you have a large pot, you don't have a larger pot to put it into. So then take another pot, a smaller pot, put it on the stove. So you have pot number one, which is a large pot you want to kosher. Fill up with boiling water, then the water is beginning to get to a boil at the top. So then you take pot number two, a smaller pot. Put some hot water into it, okay? Put some hot, it doesn't have to be a lot, some hot water into it. And then let the water um, boil in that pot, in that smaller pot. Pick up with an oven mitt, obviously, it being safe, um, this smaller pot. And then push down, like push down, like you don't push down too firmly so it'll splash all over the place, um, like too far, but push down firmly so that once, so that the water spills over the sides. And now, the whole issue is, without going, I don't go into too much detail, is that you, you ha, don't have, you, you've now maintained the temperature of the boiling pot, right, that you want to kosher, because it's only come into contact with another pot, which is itself boiling, so then, and then you've allowed the water to spill over all the sides. Um, that's something which uh, is a means of being able to kosher a very large pot. Um, one other detail, which sometimes will come up, if you have a pot which has um, handles on it, and they're screwed in to the side, then postgame have a little bit of an issue in regard to this because um, they they say that uh, they say that you know that they were concerned that you can have um, if the pot's been used for obviously for cooking, then then it can be be steam and zea and some amoshus which gets into. Um, the part, the uh, the part where the screws are. So one thing to do is you can clean it out really well. If you, sometimes you might, if you can unscrew it, great. So then unscrew the whole thing, and then you know you can kosher everything separately. Um, if that's not really practical, so um, one of the things which is mentioned in Tamri Posting is sometimes what's what, what, what's talked about is using a blowtorch in order to get to those areas. Is and this is mentioned in certain very reliable svarim. Is you can take the pot and put the pot into the oven and then this is prior to kashering it through hot water, and then you put the pot into the oven, and then you 
um, turn the oven on to 550, to the highest temperature, leave the pot in there for a while once it reaches 550, then you can take it out, and we assume that's called Libun Kal. That's enough for any areas that you can't access um, or that the water won't be able to get to, and then you would kosher it in the way we just described now, boiling it up, etc. Okay? Um, also, sometimes people have questions in regard to m- m- things that are more than one piece. It's a practical question. Oftentimes nowadays, things that are more than one piece um, can be kosher because of the fact that it is um, you know, that you, there's nothing, it's, it's made in such a way with better quality so that there's nothing really in the seam. Um, and sometimes you can check. You can take like a pin, um, you know, or something along those lines. Take a, a pin and then see as to whether there's sediment there. If there's any significant amount of sediment, it might be a little bit more of a problem. But if it's clean, so in that case, uh, then even though it's two pieces, it should still be okay. Um, okay. So that's all in regard to um, kashering. Let's move on. Baby bottles. Uh, baby bottles better to have new baby bottles. Is it absolutely necessary to have new baby bottles? The answer is no. If it's a financial strain, then there's certainly grounds for a person taking the baby bottles and uh, then koshering them, especially this year. As we said, you know, got the plastic, you would boil water, you'd dip the baby bottles in quickly, and then you'd assume that it's koshered. Um, so, but on the other hand, you know, people will get new baby bottles if they don't mind, um, because and the fact that it's been, not only it's come into contact with chametz, but even more so, it's been washed around chametz as well. Um, so that's, uh, you know, something to be aware of. Again, it's not absolutely the evidence. If for some reason a person has a real constraint, and they find it difficult to invest into that. Um, in regard to medicine and toiletries, medicine and toiletries, there's a lot of information on the, um, on the uh, Dropbox, which I'm going to share with you. Um, one of the most important points is anybody who's taking medication, um, because the, anybody who's taking, hold on a second, I have a couple of questions here. Um, hold on a second. I just want to see um, before I move on. Ice maker in a freezer, which drops the cubes into a container. Can you review again cleaning an ice maker in a freezer? Um, the, the answer is basically it should be fine. We don't assume that uh, the, the, either the thing which makes the ice itself or the container is going to be compromised in any way. If anything came into contact with it, it would be very, very cold. Uh, not only cold, but very cold. And therefore, just clean it out well. That's all. Now, sometimes in order to clean it out well, in a freezer setting, you might have to put defrost things because you want to make sure that, you know, that there's no, if there's a buildup of any ice. If there's no buildup of ice, in that case, so then you can just clean it out in that way. But you can use an ice maker without a problem. Um, and how long would the pot need to be left in the oven um, in the way that I just described until it gets to the highest temperature? So if you have, I mean, electrical ovens, electrical ovens nowadays will actually indicate what the temperature is. Once it gets to the highest temperature, just leave it there for another minute, and that's all. Um, that will be enough. And then what about non-metal sinks? Oh, I forgot to mention, what about non-metal sinks? Non-metal sinks are a very big problem. Um, and then what you have to do is you have to put an oven insert into it. So if you have a porcelain sink, you have to get an oven insert, and then everything is put into the oven insert. Okay, so that's uh, also, I forgot to mention that. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, okay, so now, in regard to medicine toiletries. So, uh I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wouldn't know what I said. Uh, yeah, yeah, a sink insert, yes, thank you. A sink insert, not a knob insert. So, in any case, in regard to um, medicine and toiletries, so first of all, if a person is taking any kind of prescription medication, they should continue doing so, unless uh, it's really one of those things which is a total luxury. Um, but anything which is needed for health reasons, they should continue taking. Generally, uh, most medications make a radin are not really considered to be a problem because of the fact that they're totally, absolutely inedible. Um, we get into problems, of course, when things are edible, 
when you have flavors, let's say, for example, in regard to cough medicine, in regard to uh, certain kinds of uh, pain medication for babies, for children, babies, etc., and they have flavors, that's where you have much more of a problem and there's a higher level of sensitivity. Um, but you take a look at the, at the lists. It's not worthwhile for me to go through it, but there are lots of options for, um, for ibuprofen, for the Tylenol or the equivalent, um, for adults and for children, et cetera, et cetera. If you, there's something which you don't have there, probably you can get the Adwe equivalent, um, you know, but uh, most medications are available in some way, uh, shape, or form. Um, so let's say, for example, somebody asked me about uh, something, I think it was an antacid, and the liquid antacid, they wanted a liquid antacid. I think Adwe was the only one who had a liquid antacid. Um, but, uh, you know, for, which was kosher it's more It's more sensitive. It is true. It's more sensitive because um, a liquid antacid, because uh, if it's a liquid and it has a flavor, then you really have to make sure it's kosher Pesach. That is true. Um, but really, almost everything should be there. And if there's something which you can't find there, you should be in touch with me. The, the, one of the big questions in regard to... Um, in regard to uh, um, toiletries, is something called ethyl alcohol, which can be a grain derivative. And um, then the question is whether, and that's the reason why it is true that you will find in the lists that they advise you to use um, certain, if you use, uh, for example, a deodorant or a perfume, um, things along those lines, which can have alcohol in them, to use specific ones. That I would advise people to do. It's not a crazy humra. I heard that uh, Ravarin Salavechik, I heard Ravarin Salavechik say this, that this was really, was based upon the fact that uh, once upon a time, the time of the prohibition, um, when there was, uh, they weren't making uh, liquor and other kinds of alcohol for consumption, so people who, who were addicted to alcohol would actually drink these other kinds of things in order to get an alcohol kick. And the post-game, this was one thing which reinforced for the post that even though it's supposed to be denatured and you're not supposed to be able to drink it, Nonetheless, they felt that in regard to Pesach, if you see people actually drinking it, then we should be careful, and, and uh, if it might have chametz uh, in it, then um, even though generally we, we, we might have thought it's not really lachilas kelev, but uh, nonetheless, a person shouldn't use it. So one should try to get those items. If you're using for perfume, check the perfume. There are lists for perfume. There are lists for deodorants and other such things. One of the major questions nowadays, what about Purell? Baruch Hashem, they say that Purell is not really considered to be a problem. Um, so these hand fresheners should really not be an issue because it's totally not Royal Achila. Um, flavored children's Tylenol, so check the lists. Um, flavored children's Tylenol, they should have equivalents um, for children, flavored children's Tylenol. You check the Detroit list, um, you know, and the other lists, so they should, they should be there. Um, I might just, uh, I don't want to keep people too long. Um, maybe I'll just uh, show you for a minute if I can. Um, I'll just, uh, I don't want to take too long. Hold on a second. But... Um, uh, hold on just a minute. You know what? I'm going to stop it for a second. I'm going to... I don't want to take up too much time, but I can show you the list. Take a look at the list, which I'm going to share with you. The Detroit list is very good. It's very concise, but also very good. Um, and also the CRC list is good. Uh, they will tell you the um, the various different medicines. Some of the lists are very long. You want the lists. For most people, the shorter lists are helpful because you don't need to know, you know, to sift through and turn pages, etc., etc. You want to know something which is on one or two pages just the things I need to buy for, for PESA. Now, um, there are a couple of questions here. Um, children's Tylenol, one year old, I have to buy a new one for PESA. If it's on the list, if you have a, a children's Tylenol, which is uh, from a year old, and uh, it should be a new one, preferably use a new one, and you don't have to buy a new one for PESA, but just make sure that it was one which, was, which is on the list. 
Um, usually they're the same from year to year. Um, toothpaste and mouthwash is something I'm going to get up to now. So toothpaste and mouthwash um, should be on one of their lists, which are kosher Pesach. Um, so Colgate, I believe, is the one which is of the biggest, the two biggest brands, Colgate and Crest. I hope I'm not insulting anybody because somebody prefers something else, but you should get one of the ones which is, which is on the list. Even this, this is something which is one of those chumich which is very strongly accepted that if you put it into your mouth, then um, you should make sure that it doesn't have any chumichs, um in it. So there is a list of, I think all scopes are okay. Um, I'm just giving examples. Right? But look on the Detroit list and look on the um, CRC list. Those are the ones which I think are the easiest ones to look at. I think the Starcade, by the way, also has a list I should mention as well, which is like one page. You know, they understood this, that people don't want to get confused. One page just of the items that you might want to buy. Um, okay. So now, in regard to the question came up, what about makeup? Um, so makeup, um, lipstick is an issue. Lip, the reason lipstick is an issue is because, again, there's strong reason to be, try to be more machmir in regard to something which you're going to end up maybe on one's lips. It, one is going to be ingest at some point in time even a residue of it. So lipsticks are supposed to be, in quotation marks, kosher Pesach. There are lists of the lipsticks that are okay. Um, and... Uh, if a person has a lipstick, let's say, for example, it is kosher le Pesach, and they do have to get a new one, some people will get a new one. Other people might say, just cut off the end of it, because, you know, it's not it's not around hummocks in general. So just cut off the end of it, and then uh, then you'd be able to use the, the rest of it. Um, don't necessarily always have to get a, a new one. In regard to other kinds of makeup, even though you will see that there's long lists of every kind of thing, the, here, the, if a person wants to be machmir, great. But on the other hand, we assume that all these various different things are totally and absolutely inedi- inedible. Um, you know, you know we, we, uh, we assume that the hard soap we doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have to be kosher le Pesach per se. Um, by way of example, uh, dish detergent does not have to be kosher le Pesach, at least for me, right in. Don't worry, you can find it, kosher le Pesach. But these things are absolutely and totally inedible, and therefore uh, do not have to be uh, kosher le Pesach. Okay, you don't have to worry about uh, these, these uh, kinds of things. So makeup with the exception of, um, with the exception of, of, in order for it to be a problem, just to be clear, it has to be a liquid, okay, as opposed to cream, make a red din, we told it totally fine, no matter what it has in it. I should make one clarification, regard to what, but a, a cream um, should usually be fine, because then you can't ingest the cream, you can't ingest powder, um, right, all these things can be done. I want to know just by way of example, where sometimes you have to just use common sense and apply it to a given situation, you could have something which, you know, you wouldn't think of, and then it could turn out to be chametz anyways. Um, a few years ago, a number of years ago, it was a long time ago, somebody called me up on Pesach itself. Their, their child um, developed the, um, the, the, came into contact with, I think, with poison ivy. I think it was with poison ivy. And, uh, and as a consequence, they got a special, special thing that was used for the bath. So they um, they went to the pharmacy and they get the from Pesach and they do that and then afterwards they look at the ingredients and they say um, and they and they see that it has oatmeal in it right because oatmeal is sometimes used in creams and other kinds of things it's supposed to be soothing so they called me up and they asked me as to whether oatmeal this is a problem so immediately I called up obviously what do you do in the case you call up Hal Rudin our local from pharmacist and I say Hal. Um, this thing which, uh, you know, you, <laughs> your pharmacy provided to this individual. He is this, uh, Roy Lachila. He said, you could probably eat it for breakfast. All the people instead destroy it immediately, you know, and anyway. So that was an example where you have to be careful. Sometimes you might not think of such things, but that can happen, 
that you can come across something un, un, unintentionally. Um, okay, a few questions came up. Can you store chametz? Okay, so it's a good question, even though it's not a topic right now. Can a walk-in pantry get store chametz covered in the same closet as a Pesach pan as Pesach pantry items? So I, I, I think that people should try to isolate the chametz that they're selling as much as possible from the rest of the um, from the rest of the uh, products. Um, like in other words, even though there's a basis in halacha for it. Um, but let's say if you have, let's say you open up your fridge and you have, like, in your fridge, I don't advise people to do this, like, this shelf over here is chametz, and that's sold, and this shelf over here is okay, and that half of the shelf is okay, and this, so I don't generally advise people to do this. In a situation that you can separate things, put things in a box, and put it in a closet, or something along those lines, in a designated place, it's much better, um, that the place where the chametz is, is also in the jurisdiction of the, of the non-Jew. However, if necessary, um, and if you try to make sure, like, for example, this whole shelf, let's say in the context of a pantry, is designated for chametz, and you mark it off, obviously seal it off, etc., etc., that's okay. It just, it, it's, it, I, there's a strong preference um, for having the actual place itself separated. So I would say, if you can, if it's a non-perishable item, it doesn't have to be refrigerated, etc., put it in a box. Put it somewhere in some area of the house, stack up two or three boxes, and those we put away over there. Um, and that's known, you know, and put like drape uh, something over it and, you know, seal it and, and uh, do it in that way. If you are not able to do so, um, then try again your best in order to try to isolate the area so that it's like a whole shelf, let's say, for example, which is, um, and then that whole shelf is for comics. Um, a couple of other questions. Um, oh, walk-in pantries. Two people asked about walk-in pantries. Uh, actually, I don't know how that happened, but anyway. Um, just a minute. Oh, Zoom open prior to Yom to the view through the Seder. And same with freezer items. Yeah, we've got the freezer items, the same thing. Um, if there's going to be some kind of half state and you can block off, like, for example, the whole shelf, then I've talked this over with, uh, with posting who say that that's okay. Um, but again, it shouldn't be, you know, it should be something which really, really is done carefully. And therefore, I much prefer that a whole shelf be closed off so that, uh, you know, people don't make uh, any, no possibility of mistake. Um, I'm just going to go over some products. Uh, there was a question about um, Zoom, so I'll try to come back to that. Um, buy a toaster oven to use for pay for any concern that the plants was tested with hummets. I do not believe you have to be choshesh that it was tested with hummets. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know whether... They necessarily test each item, but why should they necessarily test it with chametz? Uh, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Then, then as a chumrah, a person might uh, per, might just buy the toaster oven, turn on the highest temperature, and uh, you know, shake it out, and then that's it. But uh, I don't think that generally we have to be machmer in regard to that. If a person wants to be totally certain because they understand that sometimes they might test the toaster oven and might have put a piece of bread into it. So then, again, a person could just shake it out and then uh, turn it on to the highest temperature for a short period of time. Okay. In regard to um, coffee, I'm mentioning why I'm mentioning coffee. What's coffee? Because some people are saying, what are we going to do about coffee? So, so first of all, there are lots of coffees which are available. Check the OU in particular. Many of the coffees are available even if it doesn't say OUP on it. Um, and uh, there's still Kasha Le Pesach, many of the major brands. Um, and uh, lots of brands are okay if they're not flavored. Uh, decaffeinated is much more sensitive. Just be aware of the fact that whenever you, you'll see on the list, they'll sometimes say these coffees are all okay with that OUP. But decaffeinated, um, the process for decaffeinating uh, oftentimes requires chametz. So you have to be careful about that. 
bottled water um, is totally fine as long as there's the minerals. They mention that if you're buying on one of the lists, you'll notice um, there's a list that came from the AKO, which is a Kashrus, um, a collective Kashrus agency that oversees Kashrus. They said that Kirkland, I believe, bottled water might have an issue, I guess, maybe because there's a chashash of certain minerals they use, and then certain kind of Kirkland bottled water, either you have to take a look on the list. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but in any case, they say that uh, the the uh, if you buy it before buy it before Pesach, sometimes we'll get to in a moment. Buying things before Pesach mitigates some of the pace, the, the chametz concerns. Where does this come up? It comes up in regard to milk and eggs. Um, there are milk and eggs that have uh, that are kosher le Pesach, um, have kosher le symbol. Then of course you could buy it on Pesach itself. Then it's not a problem whatsoever. Sometimes people get confused and think that there's a problem buying milk and eggs always on Pesach um, on Cholamoy. That's not true. If they had certified it's kosher Pesach, then it's kosher Pesach. However, we assume that you can also buy milk and eggs which are not kosher Pesach before Pesach, even though it has no symbol on it. It might make you nervous, but Mikra then it's totally fine. That's, of course, if you are, um, if a person consumes non-chalav Yisrael, right? If a person's not going to chalav Yisrael, so all the chalav Yisraels will already have the kosher Pesach symbol, symbol on them. But if you're, you're not mocked in regard to chalav Yisrael, this applies to milk and certainly applies to eggs as well, you can buy it before Pesach, and it doesn't have to be kosher Pesach. Once you're buying the eggs on Pesach itself, and look before Pesach, there's reasons why we're more concerned um, about the status in terms of what the animals were fed. So in any case, it's much better to, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're going to want to buy the milk and the eggs freely, to stock up before Pesach. Um, you can take a look. This is relevant oftentimes for a significant number of families. You can find soy milk and rice milk, etc., which are in quotation marks kosher Pesach, in light of what I mentioned before. Um, that sometimes can be important for health reasons for certain people, um, and they have the specific ones. Right, you have to find the specific one which does not have a chametz concern. It's only a kidneys concern, and then when necessary, if you reach the threshold of need, it's for health reasons. Um, then it could be used for Pesach. Whenever you use those kind of items, you should always make sure that the the, the utensils are separate. So you would probably use disposable and you probably, if you, if, you know, you wouldn't wash ever um, anything used with kitneos for an Ashkenazi together with everything else. Um, now, in regard to aluminum pans, wax paper, etc., so um, generally you don't require Ashkacha. These are found on lists. You'll notice the title of the list is usually no uh, Pesach certification required. Um, so they have lists of things. Aluminum pans are totally fine. Wax paper is totally fine. Tissues are totally fine. Toilet paper is totally fine. Uh, paper towels are totally fine. Sometimes people remove the first of the paper towels because they say that maybe there might be some cornstarch which is holding it there. So if you want to, you can. Um, but in any case, all these things are mutter. Generally, paper plates are fine. Um, so as far as I recall, take a look at the list. But generally, paper plates are considered to be fine, even though there are all kinds of different things that people are mocked with in regard to Amika Radin. These things are totally fine. Plastic plates are, and cutlery is totally fine as well. Parchment paper. Um, apparently is treated in such a way so that it has to be kosher for Pesach and they have the specific parchment paper. Um, in regard to the car, the car should be cleaned well. If you're going to use the car over Pesach, then you should clean the car. Um, and again, in the way that we just described before, if let's say, for example, you're, you find some place in the car, you can't get to it. Sometimes when you clean the car, there are places, you know, it's difficult to get to. And then you say to yourself, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? I'm sitting here with a screwdriver and a and who knows what, and trying to pliers, and I don't know what, then I can't get to it, etc., etc. So then, take out a bottle of anything, Windex, or any kind of cleaner. It doesn't make a difference what the cleaner is. Spray, just once. And now, it's, now if there was anything there, 
it's totally, absolutely um, pogum and doesn't have a status of anything anymore. Right? So people sometimes will invest enormous amounts of time um, into cleaning uh, crevices Right, that um, when when uh, when you know other things need to be done, or they just need to be able to rest a little bit, um, that's one way of uh, dealing with with um, such situations. Um, okay, I talked about the kashering, and last thing is before getting to question, other questions which were posed now, um, what about pets? So in regard to pets, you should check the lists. Baruch Hashem, the Star K has a section on pets. Um, I think I posted an article in regard to pets. Um, and also the CRC has a section about the pets. You try to get um, pet food which is not chametz. That's number one. That's the big, big, big priority. And they have lists of the pet food which are not chametz. Um, kitten use is okay. You don't. Your pet doesn't have to be so from. You don't have to ask your pet as to whether you know the pet is Ashkenazi or Friday. And the pet is allowed to have kitten use, um because it's uh, mutter bahana. So that's not a problem whatsoever. But in regard to um, in regard to um, chametz, that's a serious problem. If you have no choice whatsoever and you have to feed your pet chametz, that's the only way to go. And usually I think there are substitutes. Fish, they have options. In regard to birds, they have options. In regard to, um, in regard to uh, dogs and cats, they have options. So if you have absolutely no choice, then it gets a little complicated and probably you should contact me because then it's a question of basically giving it to a non-Jew over the course of Pesach, and the non-Jew just has it for Pesach. That's, it's theirs, they feed it, um, etc. So, um, in any case, yeah, goldfish love matzah, but on the other hand, um, I'm not taking responsibility for that. So if you over... <laughs> but what kind of matzah is the question? Hand matzah, shmura, you know, machine, shmura matzah, anyway. So that uh, might be subject to question as to which matzah they really like. Um, Okay, so let me just go back to a couple of questions now. Um, so what about a year-round water pitcher with built-in filters that is only used for water but present at the table, often made of hard plastic? If, um, if th- that's a good question, um, I would say that there's a strong basis for koshering it. Um, I would say that there's a little bit of an issue because it's used around, it's on the table oftentimes. But given that you have... You can reference that uh, discussion, and I can send you an article in regard to uh, kashering plastic in general and for Pesach. Given that there's such a strong reason to think that you can kasher plastic, according to many poskim, and even amongst the poskim, they can't kasher plastic, but they recognize that usually plastic, such as this case, if it came into contact with something, it's it's not regular, it's not like, it, it, it didn't boil chametz inside this container, right? It didn't come into contact with boiling chametz. Maybe something touched it. What are the chances of something hot touching it? Very slight. So I would say that if it uh, can withstand being quickly being put into a pot of um, hot water, great. Um, if not, even weekly reshown, which is to take a, a kettle or a pot and to pour it over it, which is you know is to protect it a little bit more, that you're not actually immersing it in a pot of boiling water, I think that also would be okay. And I think you could rely upon it. Again, if somebody were to you know be keeping Pesach year after year after year, and they uh, they have a whole section of their basement to some place in the house where they keep all their Pesach stuff, and they say, should I get a, a pitcher for Pesach? And say, yeah, I get a pitcher for Pesach. Yeah, you know. But on the other hand, if it's not, if it's a, if it's an investment or if it's, it's inconvenient, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I think that certainly um, that is not so much of a problem. Can you use the filtered water tap on Pesach, and how should it be ca- cleaned or kashered, um, and no hot water comes out? Absolutely, there's no reason why you can't uh, use a filtered water tap on Pesach. Um, I think that all a person has to do is kosher it the way you'd kosher any faucet, 
which is to pour boiling water over it, and then a person might do what I said before if they want to be especially careful, which is to, you know, let's say, for example, again, this is, I think, after pouring the boiling water over it, in the Anachomer is to take a pot of water and then quickly, um, after the water boils, quickly stick it underneath the, um, the place where the water comes out, so that part is kosher, because that's obviously the place where you would have the most issue, theoretically. Um, there may be uh, some chomets, you know, steam, um, which was actually hot, got to that, uh, got to it. But in any case, that would be a potential problem. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the potential issue, and I think definitely you can, um, you can kosher in the way I just described. Um, okay, so now, uh, somebody might put the pasta in the strainer in the sink, including under the filter. Yeah, that is true. And then the steam would come up. Now, two things in regard to that. Number one, people, Lamaisa, um, the issue in regard to steam is one which when you actually hold your hand there and steam becomes, steam, um, people sometimes assume that steam automatically um, is, uh, you know, causes absorption. Oh, something, steam got onto something or another, so obviously that thing became terrible. That's absolutely not true. Depends, it depends on the heat of the steam when it comes to contact with it. Steam doesn't necessarily, because it's condensation, right? And it rises. So if you take, let's say, for example, you can do an experiment, take a cup of uh, boiling water tonight, and let's say, for example, and then if you put your hand and you fill up to little, it's an inch from the top, and then you put your hand over it. So then you can't keep it there that long. Then pick up your hand a little bit more, and quickly, you so that the steam, quickly, it, it, uh, it, um, it cools down even though you'll still see the steam coming up, and it's much, much cooler. You can keep your hand there. So in regard to those examples, the question about the pasta, that's absolutely correct that the pasta steam could rise. If it were hot, when it would get to the, um, when it would get to the, um, to, the, uh, to the faucet or to the dispenser of the uh, filtered water, in that case, yes, it costs absorption. But oftentimes, by the time it gets there, it's not going to be that hot. Um, and if it happened already, so then we're kashering it. So that's why I'm saying it makes sense to kosher it. Um, if you cover the water filter spout and sink uh, white cotton cloth they sell in the store, do you still have to kosher them with um, boiling water? I would say the answer is koshering with boiling water is more important than that, um, than covering it. Because if the chashash is, right, it's not a chashash from the outside of it. That's one of my sense of things. The outside is not the main issue. Um, it's actually whether it absorbs something which is chametz. So then I would say that um, if you covering it with white cotton cloths, which I'm not so familiar with, um, that doesn't accomplish actually that much. I would say somebody, the, the more significant issue which was mentioned before is that, uh, that there might be steam which got absorbed into it. And that would be um, more, of a, more of a problem. Um, so kiluach is from the pasta to the filter. Oh, I see. So then you would have kiluach from the water to the filter. That's an interesting question. That's called, um, that's called, so somebody asked me a very detailed halachic question, which I'll just mention briefly, that if you have the water going directly, and this could happen to the faucet as well, from the cold faucet, the cold water coming down and hitting the pasta, which is hot, then the, this could, it's called an halacha, it's actually called nitsok. And it's a question, halacha, as to whether we're machmir in regard to this. Does that cause a connection between the thing on the bottom and the thing on the top? And this is actually, when halacha really is, at least the, the starting point is the real, it's a real problem, uh, because the one on the, ho- the bottom is hot and the one on the top is cold, and that's the classical case of nitsok. That is the classical case of nitsok. 
However, um, that could, whereas that could happen, um, that definitely could happen, um, in halacha, in regard to the din of Nitzok, there are two questions. Number one, the Ramah says that in regard to Nitzok, that it's a machlokis in the Rishonim as to whether Nitzok applies to Tisri um, Beheter. Ramah says, we're machmil lechatchilu, we're mekel bidiyeved, and um, in short, for that reason, I think in this case, still, you're allowed to, you're still allowed to kasher. Okay, the kashering should take care of the other issues. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, now, f- one more thing here. Um, oh, somebody asked about a Zoom Seder. Um, Zoom Seder. So, uh, the, the, obviously, it's, uh, that's, that's something which I can discuss later. There's a discussion which, which will come up, and even though it has nothing to do with what we're talking about now, there are people who may be in extreme circumstances um, in which this is relevant. For most people, it's not relevant. Um, if you have someone who's in isolation, an older person, let's say, for example, is not going out, and uh, the well-being of the person and the, um, the person's mental well-being, physical and mental well-being, psychological well-being is uh, a real question mark. I've gotten some such questions. Then this can be a serious uh, consideration as to whether this might be done. In general terms, and this is something which has been discussed a lot amongst Rabbanim and Eretz Yisrael, and here, in general terms, most Rabbanim are saying absolutely not. There should be no assumption that one can uh, use Zoom in order to, you know, share a Seder with someone, I don't know, just to be able to be in touch with the family or the grandchildren because they were supposed to have a Seder together. Absolutely not. It's it's not it's not only because it'll be they'll be bothered by it. That's not a behater. Rav Shechter actually wrote a tshuva in regard to this, an explicit tshuva, in which he discussed this. And he says if a, a person is just sad, that's not a reason to start coming up with these kinds of extreme kulos. But if it's obviously much more of a concern, then we should be more um, attentive to this. Um, okay, one other thing which I'm going to get to in just a moment um, is the following. I'm going to post something on the chat myself, which I'm excited about. Um, it's good. Baruch Hashem, it just came in now. Uh, so somebody just sent me a text. Let's see if I can do this. Um, okay, so you'll see that um, you'll see the following. That I just posted something. I think I posted it. Um, I just posted it now. Um, if anybody wants to look at it, maybe they'll send it out later. So I heard Arab Shabbos um, that the following is happening. My wife told me that she saw this in one of the local community chats. If we're looking for some way of, you know, doing something in the present situation, not just uh, school law, but we're doing something, you want to contribute a little, you want to feel like you helped out. So we have, um, as everybody I think knows, people who are on literally the front lines. I mean, it's a scary kind of thought. We have people who are on the front lines, which means that um, these people, first of all, have salah, um, everybody should keep in mind that Salah members every single day because they're Moser Nefesh in general throughout the year. They are mafkir, their time and their, uh, you know, their availability. The Shabbos and throughout the entire week. And obviously they've been much busier recently. And it's scary because the fact that they now have to go on calls and they're um, sometimes exposed, you know, to people who have COVID-19, the coronavirus. Um, and it's uh, nonetheless, they are on the front lines. What will we do without them? Um, that's one set of or group of people that we should all have in mind when we're davening. Uh, and another group of people are the people who are in the medical field, 
Um, lots of people are doing things. People in this community are doing absolutely incredible things in order to try to provide support. But the medical people are literally on the front lines. Imagine in a hospital setting, um, you know, the people who are actually treating patients and obviously in that setting, everybody's come through no matter what ward you're in, but especially if you're treating patients, um, then you, with whatever protective gear you're wearing, nonetheless, you're, you're vulnerable. Um, and, and things are going to get worse because already a few days ago, a doctor called me up and told me that they're drafting, they're trying to ask the doctors to volunteer to work seven days a week. In other words, they're stretched so thin and the needs are so, um, are so great that they're trying to recruit people who are working, let's say specialists, and now they're going to get them to come in other days of the week in order to help out um, so that they're able to give attention as much as possible to the patients that are coming in. So one of the crazy things that my wife told me about on Air Shabbos is that there was a message from a nurse in town, um, and uh, this uh, nurse in town, and leave out her name just, you know, that uh, because of, because I don't know if she want me to mention her name, but in any case, um, and she said, it's crazy. You said she, you have people who don't have enough masks. The places she works in the hospital where they don't, they literally don't have enough masks. So what she asked was, that people donate towards um, a fund to be able to purchase masks for these nurses uh, so that they'll have the masks available to be able to protect their lives, right? And those, uh, and everybody else, then their families and those in the community at large, because we know that this is now not about any given one individual, but also it's about uh, protecting the community at large. If I get it, then in that case, it's not that I have a problem, then everybody has a problem, because who knows who I'll come into contact with and who I might have, you know, passed it along to before I find out that I got it, and what will happen to people in my family. It's always about everybody, the whole community, as opposed to the individual. So these nurses need these masks in order to protect themselves and to protect everybody, their families, obviously, first, and then, of course, everyone in the community as well. And um, they literally don't have, have the masks available. They don't have the masks available, and the hospitals, you know, are scrambling to get the masks. They're able to purchase these masks, but it costs money, um, and what I just posted now is a, um, a link, jewishnurses.org um, slash donate. You'll see it's up here. It's, a, it's 503. And she just sent this to me now because she just confirmed apparently with her, with a lawyer, that uh, just to make sure that it can be, uh, you know, tax deductible. Um, even if it gives $18, you feel you give $18 towards, you know, probably at least match it's not too much. You give $18 towards, you know, keeping uh, somebody from out there safe. Um, which is obviously very, very powerful. You did something. It's more than it's more than a gesture. It's it's you know doing your part in order to um, in order to. Help. Um, somebody wrote here that they didn't see the the link. Is are other people not able to see it? Um, not seeing the link. Shout out one second. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm going to maybe all what I'll do is I'll send this out to the shul. You know, just mention to people that. Uh, I'm not sure, they don't need, I don't think that, you know, look, it, it costs a lot of money, the amount of money that they're raising for all these nurses, but, uh, you know, it's not like they're raising like $150,000, but if uh, people give, you know, whatever they're able to give, even if they don't push themselves so much, but you feel like, you know, probably for $25, I don't know what each mask costs, $25, you just covered a nurse for five masks, right? You know, you know what kind of schluss that is, to be able to protect somebody, is uh, these are pikuach nefesh issues that are going on right now, okay? Um... All right, so hold on one second. Oh, I think I posted it to the wrong place. Hold on one second here. Let me do that again. I apologize. 
I posted it. I didn't post every one, so I'm going to post it again. Here it is. Um, okay, so that's I, I actually posted it to one person. I didn't realize that. Um, okay, all right. Mir Hashem, maybe you should be safe. All of us, our families, the community, we should all uh, be zocha to prepare for Pesach with an element of simcha, not to overstrain yourselves. Remember, it should not be considered like optional. You're not here to strain yourself. You should be able to, as much as possible, tend to this particular Pesach when it's going to be more difficult than usual with as much simcha as possible. Okay? And we should be able to focus upon that. We should be able to focus upon um, the, uh, under these circumstances, People should not enter the enter into Pesach having strained themselves um, because of uh, the the preparations of cleaning. Um, okay, and regret to most Um regret to most So that the Mitzvah Shem will send out something. There are unbelievable communal efforts, as probably people know about, in order to help people out. Those maybe are the first, um, the, the maybe the first um, priority over here. There's one something which you, you, everybody should have received in the mail, and um, and uh, and there's also the Moschitim in general, the you know that is, but here this year, this particular year, they're trying to make sure that if uh, people are affected financially um, by what's going on, so then there's going to be added funds which are given directly to people. Okay. Um, anyway, thank you for the thank yous, and Mir Hashem will be in touch, and uh, maybe if you want, we you know we'll see as to whether we can follow up with some other kind of. Um, uh, communication as well. All right? Call to Gavach, Shavuot Tov, everybody should be well.